Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Move in day. Well, pretty soon for a lot of new Penn State football players, Nittany Lions coming in from all across the nation. Touch on a little bit of that uh, today, but I'll start this right off the bat. Before the show today, Fitz posted an awesome article giving you some great information over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, so you can go check that out about, you know, some of that, who's coming in, where they're coming from, and a timeline of certain players coming to campus. Uh, one guy that he he uh, wrote about yesterday, Dante Cephas, we'll get into that in a little bit more detail here on the show. We already touched about it on Monday, but we'll just kind of Put a pin on it today. So Fitz, how you doing today? Busy start to the day for you so far. Yeah, I mean, it's just a nice little uh, Wednesday in May. Sorry to check my dates here. Uh, happy May 10th to those that celebrate. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's great. It's good. To, uh, Ryan and I talk uh, recruiting on Mondays, so it's good to be back on the Wednesday show. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks, so it's good to actually talk football as opposed to future football. Yeah, yeah. We've had a, a good rotation, and this is, again, why it's so awesome working for Blue White Illustrated is give you a couple weeks off. We can talk wrestling with Greg. We can get into some NFL draft stuff, and then here we are talking about football again. Um, and it's never there's never a, a dry fountain from us to, to pull content from. So, as always. Vacation, so, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and when he comes back, we can talk about the stadium and the fact that 2027 is the end date for a, a, a construction project that doesn't even include the whole stadium so you know it's perfect the little birdie told me this morning that you reached out to someone to talk stadium and uh it was not me that was suggested so i appreciate <laughs> that little birdie did not sway me that in that direction it's, it's it's funny because a lot of the things that our audience finds is the most interesting stuff uh kick times stadium mm -hmm. renovation stuff like that it, it's completely off my right like i am just I, i'm so focused on actual information for other stuff that that stuff just does not scheduling uh big conference expansion all that kind of stuff just does not it just does not register with me so i'm happy to not talk about it so when you get him back can't wait to hear about the stadium i'll definitely tune in we will uh, we'll be covering that at a future date. I was just looking for somebody with uh, with with credentials on the topic, and I know you and I both feel the same way about that. I can I can fake it a little bit, like, hey, tell me about this thing, because I like learning stuff, but at the same time, I I'm not going to be a person that has intricate information on such things. We'll we'll touch on a little bit of that today, in kind of a broader sense, in in terms of uh, 
you know, the future of the whiteout. I think that's really what it comes down to when, when scheduling and all those things happen. Uh, before, before we get to that, please like this video and subscribe to Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. We are in the summer months. We're going to be producing creative content for you that will be super interesting and fun and hopefully interactive. So join the show here at 10 a.m. Maybe you're on vacation and you're watching from the, the deck of your lake house or whatever you're doing. This is the time of year for us to hang out, talk, have some of those bigger picture conversations about football. But to do that, we need to make sure that people know the show is still going on when football is not at front of mind. So that's how you liking and subscribing will help us defeat uh, my nemesis in life. The almighty algorithm. But of course, that leads us to uh, what we have to talk about today, which is a Penn State roster update. Dante Cephas officially joining the Nittany Lions. Fitz wrote about that BlueWhiteIllustrated.com yesterday. Uh, and this is the major piece of the puzzle for the offseason. This is the major piece of the offensive side, especially from the transfer portal. So if you want to, just give us a quick recap of, of your conversation with him and, and some of the broad strokes of what you guys discussed. You expect me to move right into football after that graphic there? Like... I'm not going to swear on the air, but what, the, where did that come from? Like, have I, you, that, this, that's is that the first, the first time, time you've been? That's the first time with... I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, oh, I haven't, okay. as I said, I haven't been on that. That doesn't pop up in the recruiting show. We must already be in the, in the algorithm that, that one, that one caught me off guard. Dante Cephas, speaking of caught me off guard, I actually had a conversation with him the other day. I haven't actually talked to him since he committed, did a little texting before he committed to Penn State back in January. But uh, he's coming in. He's going to graduate in uh, on Thursday. He's going to move in this weekend, start classes on Monday. Uh, not the only transfer to do so, um, but uh, that's that's a big one for obvious reasons. This is the guy, when you take a look at Penn State's transfer class, this is the guy that's going to impact right away. He's a what they believe to be a one-two, a guy that can come in and start right away. Um, you, you weren't sure where that would sort of land with Keandre Lambert-Smith, Trey Wallace, some of the other guys that they had in there. But they believe if he is what he's cooked up to be, and they think so. They've scouted him for a long time. This is a guy that they had their eyes on before he went in the portal just because of his production at Kent State. Phenomenal player, uh, phenomenal athlete, uh, and he's got a lot of things that can really – help this offense, especially with a new quarterback. So um, I think he's uh, he's a guy that you put your expectations. I know this has been a, a conversation on the board the last couple of days. Where do you compare him to Mitchell Tinsley coming in in terms of expectations? I think a little bit of, uh, ahead of that. Last yeah. year, I was very big on Parker Washington being the number one coming back. And Tinsley's production at Western Kentucky led people to believe that he would be the number one. But Parker Washington, I think, and I think he pr ended up proving it until he got hurt, was the number one guy for Penn State this year. This year, I'm not so sure. I mean, you you have less coming back proven in Keandre Lambert-Smith, talented guy, amazingly yep. talented athlete, uh, was big at the end of the season, ended his uh, season on a high note, absolutely. Um, but Parker had a little bit more of a body of work coming back uh, from, from 2021 uh, and actually 2020 when he was a freshman. Um, so I'm I'm not sure where to slot him, but we'll just say one, two, to be safe here. Uh, Trey Wallace had a great spring, of course, um, but Cephas has been productive. He has done it, uh, albeit at a lower level, but he does have that production that Wallace does not have, and to, to a certain extent, uh, Lambert Smith doesn't have. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, not not tremendously different in terms of body type. Six foot, 185, uh, yeah. can, can get down the field. He, he told me that's what he thinks he brings to the table. He thinks he can stretch the field, uh, not only vertically, but horizontally as well in the short passing game. So I'm excited to see what he is uh, because Penn State needs something. They, they need a shot in the arm. And yeah. Malik McLean was a guy that they were hopeful that could maybe help them out, maybe in the back end of the rotation. They brought Cephas in to be a frontline guy. Yeah, for sure. I think that the addition of Cephas can actually help boost what McLean might be able to do in terms of now you kind of have a better idea of the defined roles after spring. Keandre Lambert-Smith, we saw him a good bit in the blue-white game in the slot. Um, and Cephas, from what your discussion with him is about, I think that really leans into what his skills are and where Penn State needs a veteran presence. So if we're just taking what we saw from the blue white game as a basic template where there's going to be more intricacy for sure, but you've got Amari Evans and Trey Wallace on the outside. You need a guy with a little bit more proven production in that role. And to me, the, the interesting thing we do we always talk about is like, who's the number one and Jahan Dotson was a number one, but he could play all over the field. Parker Washington was the team's number one from the slot. 
And if you don't have that versatility to play outside, it does limit your ability to produce certain plays. And I, I know he made some big plays down the field. I'm not trying to mitigate what he did overall, but he's 85% plus of the time in the slot. Cephas can be that X receiver. He can be that number one guy that, as you mentioned, runs routes at all levels of the field and is a legitimate vertical threat. So is is <laughs> from an impact standpoint, Keandre Lambert-Smith can, can grab... Uh, three catches for 112 yards and a touchdown, and he's an impact player. Dante Cephas, the offense could still run through him with that, and he could have eight catches for 78 yards or eight catches for 130, and it's just a different way of being the number one receiver. It gives you that balance and that option in the offense, and I think it's something Penn State desperately needed. Did you ever have a fear that the longer he stayed in the portal, something else could happen? Or was this pretty much locked in? Because that was always in the back of my mind. If you're technically in the portal, you're technically available. Well, that's one thing he did tell me is that other schools were still coming after him in the spring. Um, I, I've, it was pretty well locked in. I mean, uh, Terry Smith has has known him for a long, long time, predating his time at Kent State. Obviously, there's there's uh, relationships there with Daquan Hardy, with Tank Smith, guys he was teammates with at Penn Hill. So this one was pretty well locked in. I think Penn State had to cover themselves because if you're going to have to, I mean, his, his was a situation where he had to graduate from Kent State to be able to play, uh, basically at Penn State. So uh, there's there's far more intricate measures of that, but he had to graduate. So that's not always a guarantee. Like you, mm -hmm. you know, you, it's, it's not a, uh, I guess you couldn't treat it as a done deal. If you're Penn state, just because of the possibility that maybe something happens with credits, something happens with grades, something like that. So had to keep their options open and continue to recruit at the, on the other side, like you had to protect, he stayed in the portal so he could keep his contact up with Penn state. If he went back into the, uh, out of the portal, he would not have been able to do so. So that opens himself up to potentially somebody swooping in, throw a bag of cash at him, whatever, with NIL, and, and maybe something happens. He was open that other schools did still try to recruit him even after his commitment throughout the spring, um, but he said it wasn't really like something he was considering. He's had his eyes on Penn State for a long, long time. I know he visited UCLA, visited Pitt a couple of times, but he's had his eyes on Penn State for a long, long time. And that is something that from talking to him and going to do the full conversation at some point on BlueWaitIllustrated.com. So check that out. But um, it's just really insightful into how the mind works for a guy that could have gone to the NFL. Like he could have tested mm -hmm. those waters right now, um, had an ankle injury that factored into it, of course, uh, had a couple of things factored into it. But um, really interesting story of, of how he uh, sort of, circled Penn State. Penn State circled him and it, and it worked out for both parties or, or they hope it will work out for both parties <laughs> once he gets yeah. here and once he gets going. That, that's the other thing, man, is like, like you're, I don't want to say gambling, but you hope he's that guy that you think he is. And yeah, sometimes that's not always the case. They thought Storm Duck would be a guy that could come in and start right away. You know, he ended up being a three, four. Now he's out of the, out of the program after a couple of months. So like transfer portal, that's uh you're playing with uh, with a hot stove there with the transfer portal, but we'll see what uh, what happens, uh, you know, when he arrives. But I think the production's there, um, and that's the thing that I keep going back to with Alonzo Ford is he's at least produced. You know, there's there's guys in the portal that are talented guys that we believe were talented guys when they were in high school, went to big programs and things like that, didn't quite produce. Alonzo Ford, we did not believe he was. A, all that talented in high schools. So we didn't really know about him. And then he ended up going and producing, albeit at a lower level. So these guys have production and that's what you're kind of looking for when you're, when you're projecting these kids out for one year or multiple years, as in the case of Ford. Yeah. And so that's kind of it, on a little bit of a tangent. One of the reasons I, I started, oh, we're, doing we're all tangent today, just so you're aware. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I, I agree hundred percent. The, the idea of T. Frank's film room came from, okay, so what are the things that can trip up a guy who has a lot of talent? Because not every five-star is built the same way. Some guys might have a serious flaw. Like, if you want to check out a guy that I think has a lot of talent, but also we can have a great conversation about what is the value of upside and, and different aspects of a player's talent, check out my my advanced scouting on Nick, Nick Marsh, which I put up yesterday, of... You might have a guy that you think is really good, but there are concerns you just think that you can develop or he will develop past them. But guys develop differently. So, you know, guys that go into the portal that had a high four-star rating, their fatal flaw may have been something that they can't overcome, and that was obvious once they got against like talent. So if you see a guy who is a five-star, you know, former high four-star 
top 150 player in the nation and he's leaving a program, there might be a reason why beyond uh, just playing time. There might be a reason why he didn't get that playing time. So I think that's um, it's been a pretty clear message for Penn State that they're not taking guys just based on profile. They're taking guys, you know, that they want to have certain, see certain things from. And especially with Cephas, like, it's it's great they got a guy who has production against Power 5 opponents, too. Like, I watched him against Oklahoma. He was able to get a, a free against those defensive backs. And maybe Oklahoma's defense, you don't care about Big 12 defenses, but it is a like comparison. He will be playing against like players in that situation. Just one example of, you know, some of his former production. Um, anything else on transfer portal before we move on, uh, not to get a daily update. Cause we did talk a little bit about it on Monday, but is there anything else that you're eyeing now that we've kind of set this line of here's where players are, are moving physically across the country, anything you're keeping your eye on in terms of timeline or updates? No, still looking at corners. Um, uh, still looking kind of, kind of everywhere, but it's, you, you know, what's out there now. So you have a, a pretty good idea of what you're having to work with, uh, you know, maybe you get some wind that a grad grad transfer or something like that pops up in the summer. It's possible, but it's not likely at this point. So, um, no, not really. I kind of on the flip side of what you said there, um, when when you see these guys go into the portal that were very highly ranked, um, and then you know big schools take a chance on them. Some schools have that luxury because they have the depth to take a chance on a guy like that and hope that it can come through. Um, this isn't portal related, but we were talking about Zach Koontz on the board the other day. Some of these guys, Zach was very highly rated. Um, he was right up there. I, I think, you know, right, right around where Pat Fryermuth was, you could, you know, give and take, but Zach was always the guy that would develop on the back end of his career because of how he was built because of his, you know, his, the, the way that his athleticism came across the way his game did. And it, and it did eventually at old dominion, um, end up getting draft seventh round, I believe by the jets. Um, mm -hmm. so like you have those guys that you kind of earmark as late development projects, you still take a chance on them. If you have that kind of depth, Ohio state did that this week with Taiwan Malone, who had, I think 13 tackles in two years at Ole Miss, but they still have that evaluation from when he was a high school prospect. So you feel pretty decent about maybe you can get something out of him, but on the flip side, they have some pretty good defensive linemen there in Columbus to, to work with. Yeah. It doesn't work out. So I think that's kind of the flip side of taking that highly regarded prospect. And you don't always want to do that because, you know, it might be a total flop, but you think there's some development left in, in some of those guys. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's important that production, you know, Penn State has been pretty clear production has to be at least a part of the conversation. Even a guy like Johnny Dixon going way back, he was a guy he had a starting quality role. He was a rotational player. But, you know, change in coaching staff, a lot of things led to getting a guy that had time to develop and also production. So um, having both of those, obviously, is, is a quality thing. Moving on to the next thing, which is the whiteout game. I promised that we would talk about this on the Monday show because people were curious about this. And, and Fitz, you and I have, have discussed some of these situations before in terms of when things are scheduled and, and predicting those things. That the, re, the realistic idea coming out of this according to ryan snyder is you should probably set the whiteout game on your calendar for the season opener against west virginia at 7 30. um is this the death of the whiteout being against ohio state or michigan with the big noon kick like have we officially crossed that threshold where you're gonna have to have it against a, a different opponent each year yeah your second team basically because it's all tv like it it's yep. all tv like that's the thing to get across here is that's where they're going to want these games and Penn state versus Ohio state, Penn state versus Michigan. They go so far, you know, it's so early in the draft because Fox wants to put them as a noon kick. You know, that's, that's kind of where that works. Um, yeah. Whiteout was against Auburn a couple of years ago, but Auburn was not the number one, you know, like you, you always have Ohio state or Michigan as your number one, which is fine. I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, which, which, what that, which that was, I think it was, uh, I think that was Michigan that year. Um, but yeah, you're kind of at the mercy of that. You're also at the mercy of when you play those teams like Michigan, you know, you're not really entertaining it unless you do one of those pseudo whiteouts, uh, student whiteouts, right? Whatever. Um, because it's so late in the year and you know, it's hunting season or hunting jacket season at that point. So, um, that's kind of where you're at with that. You're, you're all at the mercy of TV. You want that whiteout to be, you know, probably your number two. I, you know, you can make an argument for Iowa, but at the same time, yeah. you got to look and see what else is on the schedule. Is that going to be a night game? I'd love for that to be a night game, but you know, yeah. it's, it's likely heading to a different uh, time slot. Um, Ryan does all the time slot stuff. He does a phenomenal job at it. Just check yeah. him out, uh, by the way. 
Um, but uh, yeah, you're, you're heading in that direction where so much of this is dictated by TV and it's not going to kill the whiteout. You're still going to do the whiteout. You have to do a whiteout for recruiting purposes, for PR purposes and things like that. But it just might look a little bit different. And, you know, I, I think they're going to roll West Virginia. I don't think West Virginia is very good. Um, and I think that it's going to be like a fun atmosphere for Penn State if they can get their offense rolling that quickly out of the gate. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice that. And, you know, a couple of years from now, does it does it matter that much if it's if it's you West might Virginia have a better or record. Iowa? Like you might have a better record in the whiteout game if you're not playing Michigan and Ohio State every year, which is another thing that I think people don't really pay attention to because they love the pageantry and how close the game is. But you might want to win a couple. Yeah. Yeah, you might want to. Um, But I mean, and that's fine, too. Like that's that's what you're going to be thrown in their face. I mean, the the whiteout record is not great. But when you play your top team on the schedule every year, it's not going to be. It's like it's like when we throw out uh, some uh, any coach's record against top five teams. Yeah, it's going to suck. Yeah. Like they're playing top five teams. That's how that works. And that's not a Franklin thing. It, it, you know, I, I don't know that anybody has been more successful than Nick Saban. And I don't know his record, but I can't imagine it's, uh, you know, something you look at me like, ah, oh, man, this guy dominates top five teams, like uh, at, at a rate where you think after the last decade of them dominating college football. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at on that. I mean, if it, if they white out West Virginia, great. I, I'd like to see it be Iowa just based on the, the fact that I think that's going to be a better game. I think that's a game. Yeah where you need that atmosphere behind you, but can you count on that as a kick time, as a, as a night kick time, as a late kick time, whatever. I, I don't know how those, those TV drafts have gone. Yeah. And if you look at the priorities that those networks will have, yes, Penn state, Iowa seems like a good, you know, a really good matchup if you're following Penn state all year round, but if you're trying to match it up with the rest of the conference, it's, you know, upper tier, lower upper tier uh, is, is what I would say. Uh, I'm trying to think too, because this is all about to me that the next question and kind of where I want to steer the conversation is exposure. So Purdue Penn state season opener, it was at that Thursday schedule. They had 3.5 million viewers. So a good game. It was an Island game. Um, but it, it's, you know, this is all about getting as many eyeballs on Penn state as possible and in the best view as possible. So I think the question of are more people going to watch the season opener in a prime time against West Virginia or a game against Iowa, which doesn't have the massive, neither of these teams have the massive fan base. And that's part of the whiteout exposure too is going up against Ohio state and Michigan, which have two of the largest fan bases in America. So it, it's all, all that's fed in there. Rick says, and he's one of the few here in the chat, apparently, that says NBC TV opener Todd Blackledge in the booth. Let's roll with it. He's okay with West Virginia. I think the storyline is better with Iowa in terms of this is a realistic rival for Penn State. Like if we're talking about unrivaled and they don't have a regional rival, the way this has gone back and forth, Michigan and Iowa are right on the same tier as Penn State in terms of these are actual in division in conference rivals having that is interesting for the storyline but it's all about the tv exposure so giving up the whiteout game for those big noon kickoffs to get as many people as possible watching penn state is that a valuable trade-off do you think like is that worth it yeah i think i think the nbc it is <laughs> like i mean <laughs> i think that, that that that's where they come across is why is that a big game why is penn state west virginia a west virginia team that's going to scrape to go to a bowl if they go to a bowl like why is that a big game because it's a season opener it's labor day weekend it's there there's there's a lot of things that you would like and the whiteout kind of sweetens that pot for them if that's mm -hmm. the case so you could bet you know nbc sitting there fingers crossed with uh whether that's going to be the official one but uh yeah i mean it's it, it's tough because like it's i'm starting to sound like nate here as i as i process this Do in it. my head um, but like it, it's all user generated, like it, it is what you make of it. And yeah. kind of, I think the West Virginia is going to have a lot of juice on its own. I think the Iowa game is going to have a lot of juice on its own. It's just unfortunate, as you said, the death of the whiteout. It's just unfortunate that, uh, you know, Michigan and Ohio State are, are basically going to be noon kicks for the foreseeable future until they change their mind, which if you look at the ratings, there's no real reason for Fox to change their mind on the on that noon kickoff because people are going yeah. to watch those games. Yeah, and it gets the, the whole point of the noon kickoff is that they get the best rating possible from that slot. So they're, they're putting their best games there, which means Penn State is going to be in a prime. It, it's not prime time in the traditional sense, but it's in the prime spot. And I guess that's what I was driving at is you have the white the white out to to boost viewership for an, a different game in a prime time atmosphere. And then you're a part of these marquee matchups to me like. 
I know the TV money's all the same and it's divvied all the same way, but when it comes to exposure, brand value, all these nebulous things, I think Penn State being in the conversation, if you weren't in the big noon slots, I think that's more of a problem than it is that you are and you lose the whiteout in that situation. So that's kind of, I guess, what what I'm thinking about in terms of it's a trade-off, but you'd rather have this to sacrifice this, meaning you're in the game and you're, you're, you're just, you know, in terms of position and brand value, you're in the top. Uh, of what people are, are wanting to watch. So that's that's a, uh, a positive, even inside of the negative. Uh, next thing, I think we're ready to go. Oh, I'm sorry. I need to get to this first because, as always, the sponsor of our live show here on Wednesday is Rogue Shop. And don't forget, 10% off at rogueshop.com if you use the promo code BWI, which, of course, lets them know you're coming here from us on the BWI Live Show. Tell them T. Frank is very excited to tell you about what they have to offer. Now, what I've uh, tried before, and I've never really done any of this stuff outside of, you know, working for Rogue Shop and, and, and partnering with them here on the show. So what I've been able to use and have effective uh, difference-changing uh, effects in my life were the Delta 9 gummies. But that is just one of hundreds of things that, uh, that they have at their shop. I actually had to call Richard. The very first time when all this was getting set up, I was like, listen, I don't know anything about this, and you've got a lot of stuff over here, so I need you to walk me through. Here's what I would think I would get out of this, and here is what uh, you know I know, which is nothing. And he talked me through all of the products on their shop. They have a live chat function on the website, so Char, his wife, who is co-owner of the business, can talk to you in the same way of, hey, what's bothering you? Chronic pain. Well, we can have we can help you out with that with some THC to help uh, with with pain management. Maybe you have chronic inflammation. Maybe you have a disease that creates chronic inflammation that you want to manage. Well, CBD has been known to reduce inflammation, and they can help you with whatever you're comfortable with within that of different ways of ingesting and uh, you know ointments, uh, food gummies, which are the ones I use. They'll help you through all of that. So, RogueShop.com. Use promo code BWI for ten percent off. And start living a, a better life. Uh, as, you know, it is really important to help take care of yourself. And one of the ways you can do, if you can supplement it with, uh, you know, holistic medicine, I think that's an awesome way to go. Because then you're not relying on things that pharmaceutical isn't always the the gentlest on your body. All right. So let's get into it. And and Fitz, you were saying you were a little bit thrown off by the uh, the almighty algorithm. We got a, all the imaging today because we're doing a top five list. So brace yourself. We've got a bunch of stuff. We're going to do Penn State's top five units across the team heading into the summer. Um, we talked about this a little bit before the show, but I'm just going to hit the sounder and then we'll go and discuss five through one. Number five. Transfers are coming in. The roster's been reset. Where are we going? Number five on the list of, of, of units across the roster that you think is, is in the top five? Well, naturally, I could not break it down to five, and I feel bad about leaving a couple position groups. We got some OLIs here. Um, tight okay. end, I feel good about, but we didn't see any of those guys in spring, so you got questions about that, but they should be fine with Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, and then safety, who I keep pumping safeties every time I talk on this show, and then I'm going to leave them outside the top five. So I, I think they're going to be very good. I think mm -hmm. those backups are going to be very good. Um, and, uh, we're going to see with that. So my number five offensive line. So this is as deep as they've been in a while. Like they have retooled that offensive line and done a great job. It doesn't, does not hurt that their top five, top 10 draft pick Olu Fashnu is going to be back next year. Just a massive decision. Absolutely massive decision. They've got three tackles who I think are capable. Drew Shelton needs to continue to improve. Um, he showed this spring that there's a lot of improvement to be done. Same with Caden Wallace on the other side. But you've got three tackles. Not everybody has one tackle, two tackles. Like yeah. this is a this is a position where you don't realize what you've got until it's gone. And you're gonna find that out in 2024 when Olu's gone, when Caden's gone. Um, but uh yeah, I think that they're they're okay. Um, I think this offensive line. Short of saying that it can be a strength because that is what is thrown back in your face every September when they get stuffed on a fourth and one. 
um, which the T formation has made it our lives easier in that regard. Uh, yeah. But I think they're they're deep in the inside as well. You've got two guys, uh, you know, shooting for that left guard spot in Landon Tengwall and JB Nelson at center. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see how Hunter Norzad does. Um, I think he's got all the tools to do it. It's just we haven't seen him do it. Nick uh, Dawkins as a backup, and then the right side, uh, Sal Wormley and Vega Ione. I don't know the last time I could go through the two deep without like double checking, like looking yeah. to see who this next guy was. And you have questions: Is Dawkins going to be the second center? Is somebody going? Is Wormley going to be able to, or going to be the guy that slides over instead? Is Nelson your fourth tackle right now? There are questions here, but considering where they've come from in the last couple of years. His offensive line's in a pretty good spot, and I think they're yeah. going to be okay. I think it's going to help out uh, their quarterback, help him maybe get a little bit uh, of time in there to uh, to make decisions. But I see we have some questions about would it be higher. I'm never overly high on the offensive line because I it's so hard to play offensive line. Like It's so yes. hard to judge what is greatness or passability in the offensive line because these defenses are so athletic, because these defenses are so good. A very good offensive line looks elite. Like a, yep. a an average offensive line looks good. Like Penn State had an average offense or a good good showing at the offensive line last year. Were they overwhelming? Were they great? I don't know. Um, it's so tough to judge because offensive line is very very hard to play. So that's why that's why I have the offensive line. Um, you know, just uh, put put where they're at uh, on the yep. bubble right there. As I said, tight end safety all in the conversation there. But I'm I'm bullish on the offensive line. But there's only so much you can do with uh, up front. I, I am as well, and I actually left them off the list, which I'm I'm kind of maybe I'm a little embarrassed about, but I agree with you. Like, here's the other part about it too when you're watching analysis, when you're when you're analyzing film, a lot of time when you're on the offensive line, if you just do your job, execute your assignment to an average level, meaning you're not blowing a guy off the ball, that's good enough, and that means like you're not ex, you're not an NFL draft pick, but you are executing your assignment, so. Average is good. If everyone didn't make a mistake on the offensive line on every single play, that's elite play. Right. Um, the, like down the stretch last year, like there was a lot of getting in the way. Getting in the way is really yes. good sometimes. Like yes. getting in the way can be a great block. So that's kind of where you're at with the expectations of the offensive line. It's why I stay away from the offensive line is going to be a strength because if the offensive line is a strength, that means they are essentially staying out of the way and doing great things to, uh, to, to really just extend that play, extend your time for your quarterback, extend a little bit of a hole for a running back, things like that. So like, it's real. like, I would not want to be an offensive lineman. Like it's everybody knows <laughs> yeah. when you screw up and that's what, that's what sticks. Like that's, that's yep. why we're still, you know, having these conversations about Salim Wormley, you know, as I think he's a pretty good player, but you think about the missed blocks and that's what comes back to cloud your judgment about a guy like that. Uh, your Fitz's list is the official list of the show. I will just add my thoughts in quickly at the end of each uh, of our uh, rankings. I'm going five is cornerback. And this is where losing Storm Duck, losing that depth. Depth is going to be really important to me on this list. And uh, when you lose that guy, and now Elliot Washington is pushed into that position of maybe he's going to be the fourth corner this year. And he's a true freshman. That's where I think you went from what you had last year, which was one of the best in, in the nation to one of the best in the nation, but a little bit thinner. So we're going on now to number four. Number four. You keep that imaging up because I have corners, my number four. Um, right. I, I felt st more strongly about this before Storm Duck left. Uh, as I said, this is a guy that uh, they thought could come in and, and push for a starting job. It wasn't quite there. Johnny Dixon did, had a phenomenal spring. Um, and in terms of frontline starters, there aren't too many better than Kalen King and Johnny Dixon in the Big Ten. Uh, and then you also have to remember Daquan Hardy's part of this group. And I, and I, don't, I don't always lump them in there because he is a nickel and it's kind of a different position, but he can play there. Um, so maybe you see a little bit more of him this year. Cam Miller, a guy that they're very high on, um, had a good spring. And I, I'm curious to see how, what kind of jump he makes from year one to year two. And then what do you do about that four spot? Uh, does Keaton Ellis... Uh, you know, does he factor in there? Do you like move guys around Hardy in there? King Mac, um, any of those freshmen step up. You mentioned Elliot Washington, uh, great in a straight line. We're going to see what he can do when he has to move around and, and cover guys. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still encouraged on the job that they've done. I know that they've got an even bigger job after this season, but we're not worried about that right now. Kalen King, uh, you know, a top three player on this roster. Like he's really, really good. Um, yeah. And you've got guys like that that can move like that. You still feel very comfortable despite the loss of Storm Dog. 
Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it falls outside the top five, like like I said. But and and having an elite player like Kalen King, who is that, who is has the chance to have an All American season this year, that I mean alone could keep him in the top five. But then you have Johnny Dixon, who I think we all agree is a, is another player that can play in the NFL. Having those two guys right at the top makes a ton of sense as far as why they should be in the top five. I'm going to go to a position that was on your OLI, which is tight end, and this is. You know, not having them in the spring is, um, you know, not having that observation of them is is obviously part of the, the conversation. But when you can go three deep and with Andrew Rappelier coming in and maybe going four deep at this position with a guy like Theo Johnson, who at the end of last season was one of the most explosive players in America, uh, especially at the tight end position, that's a huge yeah. benefit. And, uh, you know, if he was able to stay healthy this year, if he can continue that explosiveness in the middle of the field, that that makes everything easier for the receivers and everybody else. That gives you that high-end play. Actually, the guy that I think is the, the biggest wild card is Tyler Warren, who's been super inconsistent. He's been quality, but inconsistent. I, I'm, I'm thinking if he does take over that Brenton Strange role, that might be more suited to his skills, but that is the one part here that's a projection. But then if that doesn't work out, you got, you got four guys six guys that have talent like the tight end position is just I, I i like too much about what's going on there to to have it off my list so we're going up number three number three i'm questioning this one as i'm looking at my list but i got running back um it's it's a lot more comfortable now with trey pots mm-hmm. coming in with those two freshmen coming in but it's all about these two nick singleton and Katron Allen, like they are insane. Like they are very, very good for freshmen and not only good for freshmen, they are good, good. Like, like for any, any class you wanted to be. Um, so they can do a lot of different things. I'm encouraged to see them maybe used in different ways by the end of the season. It was just those two. So like, you didn't want to do too much. You didn't want to, you know, make them try and do too much, but now you have the opportunity to start fresh. I'm excited to see what Mike Gersich can put together. Those guys are very talented. Um, there's a such a gap, and no disrespect to Trey Potts, but there's such yeah. a gap between those two and anybody else, really. One of the top duos in the country. I mean, you're splitting hairs, putting them at number three. I could see them putting it at number two. Like, uh, It's just a really good group. And it's kind of like tight end. Like, I had tight end there, and it's like it's two guys and, it's, and then the rest. Khalil Dinkins is kind of in that Trey Potts mold where there's a gap there, and then there's mm-hmm. Khalil Dinkins. But uh, – these guys are just so good and uh if they can stay healthy they can be awesome yeah i i think pots changes everything for me uh the the having the running backs here is also really good because you mentioned your olis before we we got into the list which is great because we have very different lists especially uh coming at number three for me and i don't want to say too much about running backs or, or because i got them coming up next but Safety for me because of the depth. This is this is the whole conversation about the next two for me is all about depth because if this team wants to make a run at something significant, attrition is going to happen. And in these important positions, you got to have answers and depth. And they've got the high-end talent at certain positions. They've got here at safety, they've got quality starters if we're talking about Jalen Reed and Keaton Ellis as the uh, official, quote, starters. But with all four players having a role or at least you know playing time in the defense, this is another place where legitimately they have four players that can play and that will see field the field and will have significant roles. The way that KJ Winston played the run uh, against uh, the the white team and his recognition skills to me that that signals he's going to have a role against the Iowa's and Michigan's of the world where maybe that week he gets a bigger snap share and he's going to be a factor. Then you go against passing teams. Somebody else might like they have so many answers at safety and they have that buffer for attrition. If you want to make a run, you need to have depth, too. And they've got depth at a lot of positions, but no more so, I think, than safety. It's just the question of are the starters better than the backups, like you said, and, uh, you know, how that plays out. Yeah, that's a good problem to have for me. It's kind of like the flip side of corners. Like you've got all these guys. Whereas corner, you've got guys at the, at the start, and you're you're not sure what's going to be behind them. So, yeah, I could have had safety on here easily. I, like I said, I bring them up every chance I can get, and then I leave them off my list. I'm kind of a fraud there, so that's uh, <laughs> my bad. I appreciate the diversity, though. You want to have a different conversation. I love that, which is why this these lists are working out perfectly. Because coming in at number two, number two. Yeah, I'm going to go with linebacker here 
Like I, I understand that there's questions in the middle, but like the top, like where I look at a ceiling of a position and I see Curtis uh, Jacobs on one side and Abdul Carter on the other, that seems pretty enticing. If you're Penn yeah. state, uh, car, uh, Jacobs, when he moved back to the field position, when he moved back to the Sam was a different player essentially. Um, and also on top of that, you've got the flexibility of him being able to play in the box. I'm curious to see if we see two linebacker packages where it's these two guys where you get Elsden or, or King off the field. And in that situation, I mean, you're in a really good spot. Like, uh, I think they're getting deeper. Tony Rojas had a great spring, and I'm curious to see where he's at, at probably a year from now. Uh, he's going to play this year, absolutely, but is he a starter a year from now? It's a it's a good question to have. Uh, Kobe King was what he was in the, in the spring. They're going to have to figure out that mic position and, and get better. Those guys, I think, will improve. It's just a matter of how much they improve. Um, but yeah. you've got options. You've got numbers there, and I'm excited to see that the development because you don't get too many players that come in like Carter um, with that insane ceiling at that position obviously michael parsons was here um but uh it's uh it's it, it's a special thing to watch come together yeah uh, they, they were i wanted to have them on the list but that was an area where you you look at how they're being used and i just don't know and that's going to be the biggest thing because we we talked about this last year i was shocked that they actually put three linebackers on the field given what many diaz had done at literally every stop and and the style of defense he played and to see him be uh adaptive and, and put those guys on the field we had that conversation that i don't think either of us really saw that coming as a kind of a full-time package right. for the team um but there's a, man, there's a manny boost there though you know yeah. as, as you get into your butt but there's there's a boost there that you kind of give manny the benefit of the doubt given what he did with a true freshman in abdul carter last year who still has room to improve i'm gonna bring that up every time i talk about him but like kind of give him the benefit of the doubt that he will use those guys right now. You're about to tell me why he won't. So no, I was just saying that I don't know. Like, like it's just, to me, it's an unknown of here's another part. I'll, I'll, I'll shift to this. Uh, last season we had Curtis Jacobs here on the BWI daily edition. He talked about how he was playing at 229 pounds and, and how size is not necessarily as important as you might think when you play because reaction time and intensity and quickness and de decisiveness all can give you an advantage. Uh, and the defensive line is supposed to so soak up some of those blocks anyway. Now he's 235 like, and, and seeing him in person looks very different. Like his physique has changed it's more of a box linebacker build. So does that make him more of a of a will than a Sam, which he was more of a Sam last year. He was still kind of in that athlete mold. And does he, you know, how does his skill set translate this year to the field and how is he used? And that's the to me that's the wild card of linebacker position is are we are are we looking at two guys playing the same position and rotating or are they going to have the edict that you and I have talked about all offseason is Carter and Jacobs have to be on the field at all times. And whatever you have to do to make that happen, make it happen. I just think that there are so many base packages where you've got to have a Mike linebacker on the field. And Elsden and, and King, like, they provide a certain service that you, you also need. So it's going to create a bit of a tension for me all season of what are they doing, how are they doing it. And, and linebacker is just an area where there's a lot of gray area for me. The, the other thing here is that you've got uh, a defensive package that didn't rely on it, but had the luxury of Jair Brown last year yes. playing everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So you could move Jacobs into the box and you could bring up uh, Jair Brown to be a default Sam or something like that and go after the quarterback, do, do everything. Jair was so awesome. Like he was so good. Um, do they have that this year? I don't think they do. And that's not a slight to any of those guys because I think those guys are very talented. I think KJ Winston's probably the closest thing you have to yeah. a guy that's a Swiss Army knife that can, you know, he could play corner, I guess. Like, he, you know, I don't, I don't think you're relying on him, but guard a guy, guard a guy at corner, play safety, play linebacker, kind of be all over the place. Um, but Tig did everything so well that that I think if the expectations are there, that they're, you're going to be let down. Um, I don't think you're going to be let down by this defense very often, but that's kind of where, where I'm at with that. And again, the standard is so high on that side of the ball. Like we, you know, I, I wanted to get three and two, like, and it was tough because yeah. I thought about going four and one. Um, but uh, now you've got, uh, you, you've got plenty of options there. And that's the good thing. That's for Manny to figure out in the next couple of months. And he's, the good thing is that you've got tools in your belt to do that. It's not a sense where you're trying to make up for deficiencies at, at different spots in your defense. Uh, for me, number two, and this is quickly because we talked about this already. To me, it's the depth. Trey Potts being a part of the conversation at running back boosts these guys to number two because there's there are very few positions 
have as high end of talent as these two in terms of talent saturation. You've got Abdul Carter, Curtis Jacobs, but then you've got a couple other guys on the list that are good football players. These guys are, as you mentioned, some of the best. But if one of them gets injured, and I'm, I'll knock on some wood for Penn State fans. Don't want to, don't want to do that. You know, like we'll, we'll, we'll back off that comment. But like that's the whole point is now you've got somebody in the rotation that is a veteran that has proven he can back up the main guy, and uh, you bring in those freshmen as well. It's a little more stable. It feels like there's a little bit more underpinning the high end talent. So if you have to go without one of those guys, you do still have a second player you can rely on. And to me, that makes the talent shine more because you are less afraid to use it. I know Penn State fans don't want Nick Singleton returning kicks, but like if you can get the ball in his hands and get an 80-yard play on special teams, it's the same value. It's still six points. So having some more talent backing these guys up, I think is incredibly important and helps boost them up my list specifically. And, and I can't understate how important it is to have a guy in that role that knows what his role is going to be and accepts it. Like they didn't really have that last year. Um, yeah. And you ended up with two guys at the end of the season you know, this is a situation where if you're going to lean on Potts as a third guy, and I think he knows he's a third guy from talking to him, you know, he wants to be a starter. Everybody wants to be a starter, but I think you understand what's in that room. So having a guy that accepts that role is like huge because there's one ball. Uh, these, these running backs come from situations, not necessarily the transfer situation, but come from situations in high school where they are the guy. And it's, it's tough for some guys to process and uh, to have a guy that can accept that role and have that role. We thought, we thought Devin Ford had that role and that was, clearly not how he handled it. So um, I think that's kind of important to think about this room as a whole. Um, you've got two freshmen who I don't think are ready. Like, and I don't think yeah. you want to lean on those guys. They're, they're nothing uh, about those guys to, shows you that they can do what Singleton or Allen does, nor would you expect that? I mean, I'm just kind of talking in a circle there, um, but w w no way that you would expect that from those two freshmen. So to get a guy like that of utmost importance and a, and a guy that can accept that role is huge. I have a feeling that number one is going to be the same for both of us. So let's just get to it. Number one. Yeah, throw, throw the DN graphic up there. That's where it's coming. Um, yeah. These guys are very talented and, and I just, they're deep too. Like it's a situation where I think they've got three guys that legitimate starters that could go to most teams in the league or in the country and start in chop Adisa and deny Dennis Sutton and then four and five. Seemed pretty decent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Vanover was really good uh, when we saw him in the spring game. Now, this is probably, you know, aided by the fact that spring games are always good for defensive ends because you can, you know, you get to the quarterback and things like that. You don't have to bring them down and, everything, you know, close sacks, near sacks, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I still think this group is really good. Uh, I think Zariah Fisher can factor in there as well. And that's four or five guys. And if you got four or five guys, you're, you're in a pretty good situation. Keep those guys fresh. You've also got the versatility where you can move a guy like deny Dennis Sutton down and pa you know pass rush him from a defensive tackle spot. You can move Van over down and do the same. Um, maybe play some five technique if you're playing it against an Iowa, you know, a traditional yeah. Iowa team that's going to run the ball. So you've got options there and diverse bodies. Like you, you don't have Nick Tarburton, which they're going to miss Nick Tarburton in some, mm -hmm. in some aspects. Like he was a pretty solid player for them against the run, you know, made some plays, um, you know, out in space as well. And I think we forget that about Tarburton that I think he would have been a great addition to come back uh, for Penn state, but just didn't, didn't work out. Um, so I think that that group regardless is going to continue to get better. They're going to rush the passer. We're going to see what they have against the run. Um, deny Dan Sutton is going to be a big part of that. And, uh, he had such a great spring that uh, people are people are really high about him breaking out this year. Yeah, yeah, that was a. I don't want to say it was eye opening because we all knew his talent level, but there was he was a guy exact perfect example of a five star talent that had a specific thing he needed to work on, and his pad level was impressive this spring. His ability to gain leverage and bend was night and day from last year. He, he knew it, he worked on it, and here he is having that breakout situation. And that, you know, you mentioned Amin Vanover. He, per capita, is one of the most disruptive players on the roster because when he is on the field, he plays at a similar level. He just doesn't get as many snaps, and he doesn't have as many of those impact against the best team sort of sacks. But I think, like, he's a legitimate case that he could also start at some other uh, schools in the Big Ten. So I, the other thing, too, is... 
people have asked me over and over again, and I'm sure they have you as well, looking at Hakeem Beeman on the roster and saying, well, do you play him at defensive end on early downs as a run-stuffing defensive end? You don't need to do that because these guys are just as good at stopping the run. Denied Dennis Sutton is going to be a, a monster run defender. And I think an area that we're going to be surprised this year, Chop Robinson's going to be a better run defender this year. Just yeah. seeing the his, his build, he's put on more weight and strength. He's fully a defensive end now. His pad level, his leverage, and his ability to create power through speed and explosiveness it's NFL level. Like he's a guy that can play at a lighter weight because he's so strong. I'm very, very high. I've been very, very high on chop having, um, you know, a, a first round level season this upcoming yeah. year. So he's that's got the my... NFL carrot out in front of him too. I mean, that's yes. Can't, can't understand that one. Yep. So that's our list. If you want to, uh, if you want to give yours in the chat, or if you want to give yours on replay, if you're watching here, leave your top five list in the comments. We do have to get to this quickly because we promise it every week. And it's one of my favorite segments. It's the BWI Mailbag. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So our first question came uh, comes from the chat. This is from uh, a regular here at the show, Stephen Light. Always appreciate Stephen and his donations to the BWI YouTube channel and BWI Live. He says, uh, Iowa boards think they can catch us early in the season, meaning Penn State, with an inexperienced quarterback. Lucky scheduling for them. How many games does it take a rookie quarterback to settle in? Um, Fitz, what do you think in terms of can, can Drew Aller be ready by game three, which I think is underrated against Illinois and their ability to play on defense, and then especially Iowa with what we know they are year in and year out? I usually go with four games to settle in. Um, I go with the trace theory in that, uh, you know, he had a rough first month of, of, of his starting career seemed to settle in. Okay. Did some good things, uh, eventually. And we're not sure whatever happened to that guy. Um, but <laughs> no, he's, uh, I, I think Drew's going to have that ability to, you start at home. Uh, you have the, uh, I don't say scrimmage cause that's not fair to these guys, but you've got those non-conference games to, uh, to, or they got the non-conference game to lead up to the, the Iowa game, uh, West Virginia, I don't think it's going to be very good. I think you're going to have an opportunity to throw it around a little bit and maybe get him some confidence, maybe push the ball down the field. Like I, I can see an argument where it's like, okay, go run the ball because you've got these running backs, you know, you're phenomenal, whatever. Um, but it's also at the same point with Iowa waiting in a couple of weeks from there, you, you have an opportunity to, to have him throw the ball, to make him, put him in a position where he has to make some decision throws instead of just some timing throws and things like yeah. that. So I think that they'll push that um, against West Virginia and they have the opportunity to do so. So I typically say September and then you, you know, you get comfortable by October. I don't know that Penn state's going to have that luxury. Um, we're going to see what Iowa brings to the table. They've kind of retooled their roster a little bit in terms of the transfer portal. So not co completely sure what they bring to the table right now, but um, yeah, I think that's going to be, that's going to be kind of in that right in between there where you think he can be ready and where you're going to have to be ready. Yeah. Those looking at fully looking at the schedule for the first time a couple weeks ago, that third and fourth game is rough, especially given the, the nature of those teams that are defensive oriented and that do things that make veteran quarterback struggle. I mean, what Brett Bielema has done at Iowa or at Illinois, to me, they're the biggest wild card because they just had four defensive backs drafted in, I think, the first four rounds. So they were quality players at Illinois last year. Can they reload? And does their defense um, kind of boost the play at that position? Because if you've got a good secondary, you and you you got to have that quarterback dialed in so he's not throwing the ball to the other team. Uh, and we still need to know some of Drew's personality. Like, is he going to force the ball into certain looks? Is he going to get fooled by stuff? And that's what this first month is for him to figure out as well. Um, but that Iowa game, I think that it, by that point, if things have gone well, I think you're right, Fitz. He can have the opportunity to play to what his talent level is more so than, you know, what is being dictated by the situation. 
Yeah, you're got, more you're more looking at at the the road trip to Illinois, like as you mentioned there. Like coaches, I don't want to say coach differently, but you you pucker up a little bit when you go on the road with a new yeah. quarterback. We've seen that before. Um, so that's the one. Like at Iowa, I think Penn State will be able to run the ball enough and and, and be fine with that and, and get out and score enough points to beat an Iowa team. Um, but Illinois was tricky. Like that's a is a good coach over there. Like he he does some really really good things in terms of running the football, shortening the game as they've done in the past. Um, still think you're going to have the advantage there, but like Illinois is a little bit in, in my mind, if I'm putting those two beside each other, Illinois, a little bit trickier than Iowa, especially because uh, specifically because it's on the road. Yeah, that's that's we'll see. There's going to be a lot of things that happen early in the season. Uh, Poncho 570 asks, how far out are is Penn State from having a two deep at both inside and tackle along the offensive line where the talent gap isn't so dramatic. We talked about this a little bit uh, when we were doing the top five list, but they're they're kind of there right now, aren't they, Fitz? I think they're there right now. The The question is going to be where they're at next year. Is, yes. Uh, because you're losing one, two, three, four guys um, probably up front, and uh, that kind of is going to make a difference there. I, I don't think the gap is that big at certain positions. You've got three tackles they can play. You've got two or three positions where you're fairly close on the inside. I think, uh, you know, center and right guard are, are pretty well solidified where you've got Tangwall and uh, Nelson going out at left guard. Um, so you've got positions where you actually feel that those guys are close and you feel feel good about, you know, playing eight guys this year, seven, seven or eight guys this year. And uh, you know that they're going to have to do that because of injuries and things of that nature. The If you had your druthers, you'd probably say, that you'd want an additional tackle. Like if you wanted to be too deep somewhere, I would say tackle. And that's more of the projected long-term. They've got three guys that you feel really good about on the roster, but they have so much, they have a saturation of talent on the inside. You might want to say Javen Williams and Alex Birchmeyer, both those guys work out a tackle. And then you've got that depth to flex inside as, as we've talked about on the recruiting show. So maybe it's a little balanced in versus out, but at the same time, as we talked about on the show the whole time, you don't have a two deep all time. James Franklin even said like, you'd love to have two deep that works out perfectly. Two left tackles, two left guards all the way down the line. Nobody has that. Nobody can keep that when they have it. So right now, this is the year where, where they're probably going to be at their peak. So hopefully it all works out for them because it's uh, the future is never guaranteed. Uh, Next question here. This is from Blackheart. 8541. He says, how much does an official visit move the needle for a prospect? We hear about a lot of prospects saying they love X school, but then they want to wait to take an official visit. So so what is it about the official visit that's so special? And uh, and how much does it move the needle? This is a, a perfect question for you, Fitz. Well, the official visit is romanticized. Like this is something that kids look forward to when they start the process to have the ability to take an official visit because not everybody can take an official visit to have the ability to do so is something that you look forward to, especially since they've moved it forward to June, uh, the spring and the summer. So you're in this window right now in May where the guys that have committed in the spring, you know, we're going to commit in the spring, the guys that, you know, think that they're close, they have reason to wait. Like they, they have the ability to wait. How much does it move the needle when you get on campus? Like that depends on the kid, obviously, Depends how much they've been to campus. There's a lot of guys that have been to campus and an, an official visit won't be that much different, won't be as different as they think it is than an official visit or uh, excuse me, than an unofficial visit. So you've got the ability to wine them, dine them, take them around, everything like that. And it's not going to be that much different to Jalen Harvey, who's been here a dozen times, uh, yeah. you know, the guys of that nature. Where it differs is guys that you're bringing in from out of the region, guys that have never been here, guys that have that opportunity for their first uh look at Penn state to be that glitz and glamor official visit, all that kind of stuff. We've seen guys come in after one official visit. So like, I don't, I don't know that you're playing percentages here, but like you're more likely if you haven't seen it before to be blown away by an official visit, you're more likely on the other side. If you've been here a bunch to say the official visit was really good. It wasn't much different than I'm used to, but it was really yeah. good. Does that change the long run? I think not as much as, as people would think, but that's, that's kind of, just comes down to the kid and uh, their sense of familiarity and what, which other schools they get to visit, you know, in June. I think that's the important thing is that window slams shut on June 24th, 23rd, 24th, something like that this year. So that's when you sort of draw a line in the sand and have this decision 
that you need to make by either late June or July because you want to get in, involved with your high school season. You want to get focused and, and shut things down. So that's kind of where, where they're at with that. We're in this lull in May. Um, it's going to shoot mm -hmm. up in June, late June, early July, and then it's going to go back down, right back down in August. Is it kind of like the prom? Like it, you're like, for example, like you, you go to the prom, you get all dressed up at, at the photo shoots, you get the whining and dining, like you mentioned. But for me, like our prom was still in the cafeteria at the at the high school. So it wasn't like it was this massively different thing. But at the same time, there is that air of this is the official exciting thing is that kind of even if you've seen this, the school a bunch of times, you still want to go on your official visit because it's, it, it's like the prom. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we can go with that. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. I, mean, I did, never really thought of it like that. I'll put it like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you make a, in a comparison doesn't always work out. Fennec Fox asks, asks, perhaps too simple, but the timeline for Cephas, we talked about this earlier in the show, realistic and just kind of cement this. He is going to be a guy they expect to start and play significant snaps. Do you think he starts from day one in, in, in this uh, situation where he arrives now? I think it's certainly possible. Yeah, I think that that that's kind of the expectation that they have for him. As I said, Malik McLean was the guy that you bring in to develop, and Cephas was the guy that you came in as the band aid to to start right away, kind of like Tinsley did. So I think it is realistic for him to do that. Um, it's been interesting because he did not have the spring; he did not have spring football. He was training on his own. Uh, he was, you know, kind of left up to getting himself ready, and that's you know he did some did some other things. Went to California to train things like that. Um, so like he's, he's been doing that stuff, but he's going to have to start it up pretty quick. Like there's going to be a lot that's thrown to him this summer. Uh, he's going to have to get that route tree down, get the, the playbook down and things like that. But I think it is realistic. He's, he's been a really good receiver um, at that level. And I think he's going to have the ability to translate that to the big 10. And they, they, I think what the conversation coming out of the blue white game was, and Amari Evans showed something so that he can be a part of the conversation. It doesn't have to all just be on Cephas. So you can have two guys at that position that are, um, I'm not going to say similar. You still want Cephas to be the guy, but you do have another guy that can come in and help. Uh, and that's, that's a big thing to not rely solely on what we talked about. If like, he still has to go out and do it for Penn state, which we we've seen in the past. Doesn't always work out. Um, here's a question that I think, is sort of two questions. This will be the last one here for the show. With camp season coming, this could be our chance for some wide receivers uh, to join the roster. And how many do you think they take in recruiting versus proven talent in the portal after the 2023 season? So Penn State needs receivers in this class. Camp season is coming up. Um, do you think that they'll find a guy in camp or are these camps for something else in, in terms of evaluation? I, I think it's a big enough uh, class in that you can probably take four receivers. So yeah, it makes sense that they can go out and find a, uh, a, a, uh, a guy in camp. Now, whether that means they go out and offer a new guy in camp or they bring in a, or, or they have a guy that's coming in, for example, uh, for the team camp and they get a look at him and he dominates the team camp and all of a sudden we've seen that happen too. Um, so I think that's certainly possible. Like I said, probably four. I, I don't think the portal comes into play. You've got Hagen's here with sort of a fresh slate. Like I know there's a lot of scholarship wide receivers right now, but that, I think that's something that shakes itself out eventually. Um, and then he's going to have the ability to get his guys in there. So I, I do think camp season is, you know, receiver is going to be a spot. You know, we, we have Nick Marsh and Chance Rob, you know, all these guys that we've been saying as potential targets and potential official visits and things like that. But I think you have the flexibility to take more guys um, and camp season is usually where one of those guys pops up. That's it for the BWI live show today. An excellent show fits phenomenal work on the top five list. You're first here on the show. I'm, I'm excited for the future. I think this has great potential. I mean, it was better than top five possibilities to add to the big 10 or whatever scheduling thing we could have worked in. So happy to do it. It's May it's content season. We've got this coming yeah. for you for, for a long time. May is like in the business. May is just like, we're scraping for what we can get. And I will say the good news is we've gotten a lot, like check out the site on bluewhiteillustrate.com. We've got stuff like hourly basically going up and uh it's good stuff check it out uh greg and ryan and the vacationing nate t frank um there's there's a, more information than you can handle as penn state fans so i do recommend checking it out 
Just got to keep the stove hot, keep the pot boiling. That's what we're going to be doing, especially here on the YouTube show as well, because we've got so many great people uh, that are willing to come on and discuss what they know about football. And that's not going to stop. So join us. Subscribe to Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. Like the video, bluewhiteillustrated.com. Uh, now the deal, by the way, and I should have mentioned this during the show, and we'll mention it next week a, a bunch. It is uh, six months for $29.99, so you get a better deal than we were previously offering. So subscribe, sign up, get all the way in and all that information. I'm Thomas Rankar. We'll be back next week live on Monday with more recruiting information here on YouTube. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.